0: Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed, episode 84, is recorded live September 29th, 2011. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. Do you want to scuba dive? Warm. Now is the time to start. We also have some articles in the news we'll be covering this week. We have invasive species, scuba access, Dead Sea not so dead, and lots of silver. And my co-host this week is Mac. How are you doing this week, Mac?
1: I'm doing pretty good, thank
0: you. But before we get started, uh, we're going to take care of a little business. We actually, uh, I wouldn't necessarily call him a sponsor. But uh, we did a test last week. We got ourselves listed up on Stitcher, and uh, things went much better than I thought. I'm actually kind of impressed with the service. Uh, We've become an affiliate with them. So what that means is that you can go, and uh, let me, They got this whole thing I'm supposed to read. So here we go. Uh, You can hear Scuba Obsessed while on the go on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher's a free news and talk mobile app available for your smartphone. When you download Stitcher to hear Scuba Obsessed, you'll have a chance to win some money. Downloading is quick and easy. Just find Stitcher in the App Store, download it. It's free. It takes just a few seconds. Then during registration, hit the promo code box and enter Scuba. That's S-C-U-B-A, all one word. It doesn't matter lower or uppercase, and that will automatically get you entered to win a hundred, win a hundred dollars. The latest episode of the show will be waiting for you in your favorites, and you get access to a lot of other amazing shows too. Available on-demand, no syncing. That is Stitcher Smart Radio. And don't forget to enter your promo code SCUBA when you register. Uh, You can also, if you just want to go right on into it, you can do stitcher.com forward slash SCUBA. But I recommend doing the stitcher.com and putting that SCUBA in there. and That enters you in for that drawing. So uh, what I like about that service is that you can... You don't have to download. Like if you're doing iTunes or one of the other services, you have to download it. And unfortunately or fortunately, we record in a high quality, which makes a lot of data, especially when we go and ramble on for a couple hours with Stitcher. You can find the program, listen to it, and you don't have to download the whole thing. You can stream it. It's going to stream over, uh, depending on your phone and your data plan, over 3G, over Wi-Fi. Uh, it's a nice way of listening to some of the shows. Uh, let's see what else we got. Do we have anything else? Uh, Oh, and then one other thing. Uh, you've heard us talk about the Cooper River trip that we've been doing. Uh, it was going to be Jim, Mac, myself, uh, Jim Schultz, uh, Rich Sinowick from Diver Sink was putting the trip on, and we are all going to go. Well, Jim and his son Josh aren't going to be able to make it this year, so that created a few spots. We have uh, Dave, uh, who's in the chat room, has picked up one of the spots, and we have another spot open. So get it while you can. That last spot will go fast. Uh, today is September 29th, as we said in the intro. So go ahead and give Dive uh, Rich at Divers Sync, uh Divers Incorporated. We'll have a link in the show notes. You can uh, look Google him on Google, <laughs> and uh, you'll you'll find his website. Give him contact information, and you can get that last spot. Uh, it's going to be great. We're going to be in South Carolina, not this weekend, but the following weekend. What is that date? Is that October? Well, eighth and ninth.
1: There, yeah, we'll be there the eighth, and we'll be diving the ninth and the tenth. Oh, I'm sorry. Make that the eighth and the ninth. Saturday. Eighth
0: and yep, eighth and ninth. And from what I understand, this is not going to be a wimpy river dive. Not saying that the conditions are rough, but we are doing some heavy duty diving. I think he's got a couple extra dives over a normal trip fit in because he knows we can take it. And if you want to travel along, come on and get a shot in there. Ah, uh, Rich can give you all the details at Diver DiverSync. So now what we're going to do is head on into the news. Uh, the first ones we have some invasive species. The first two articles are in space. The invasive species. Sea stars have been reported off San Remo. A group of sti- a, a group of scuba divers here. I think I need another drink. Report an invasive northern sea star starfish around the San Remi Remo Jetty and Phillip Island. The pests have been in Port Phillip for a number of years but it is a first-reported sighting from Western Port Bay. The same diving group cleared northern sea stars from water off Inverloch five years ago. One of the divers, Rob Timmer, says the introduced they, they introduce sea stars are a threat to the coastal environment. They cause a huge amount of damage to all marine life around the bottom, such as your mussels, your scallops, and obviously affect the amount of fish that live in the sea. He said they can breed quickly. They're so prolific and what they attack. And what it sounds like that they're they're trying to do is they're going to get divers out there and they collect them up. And so if you're out there, and let's see, where are we talking about? This is in Australia. So if you're out there and you see, and I'm guessing that if you're a scuba diver and you're in an area where you haven't seen sea stars and you have a lot, uh, they want to know about it because that might be a sign of uh, invasive species coming ashore there. And then this next one is uh, another invasive species. Uh, get to the meat of this. It was much easier to read when I was reading it on my cell phone. Um, uh, this is a follow up from last year. This is the Spellich of Auschland, comes in. Uh, both members of the Native Plant Society were volunteering to remove the in- invasive plant. And uh, it's a Noxus aquatic weed, yellow floating heart. Have, have you heard of that one, Mac? Yes, I have. It's a nasty one. It's a nasty one. So they've been trying to get rid of it. There's a few lakes. What they're saying is it gets transported by ducks and and, uh, boats, other, other ways of transferring it around. And this is a lake that they discovered it in last year, and they did a little test patch. What they're doing is they're putting mats down on the bottom of these lakes to try and smother it. And also at the end of last year, or as the, I guess this plant blooms, they cut off the blossom. So now that they have kind of got an idea that the mats are going to work in this lake and they understand it, what the mats do is it covers them up and blocks the light away from them. Uh, this particular, uh, lake is about 50 feet deep in the center. And they said so they find it going out to about 20 feet deep. It's rooted in the bottom and it floats on top of the water. Uh, there will be a flu node, a few nodes along the plant. There are roots every, at every one of these nodes. So if it breaks off that piece with a node can take root again. Um, so what they're doing is they're they're covering the, the lake with the bottom of these mats, and they're hoping that that's going to take care of it. Um, they, they think if they get it soon enough, they'll they'll do better. And this particular lake, they said that they've uh, been trying it for three years. So this is the third year they've been working on trying to clean it up. Now, do we have that? Is, that? is that one of them we have around here, Matt? It's not one of the major ones we have here,
1: but it's sort of funny that you talk about that. Um... There's a couple around here in, in the Michigan area. One is called the common reed. Then the other one's the reed canary grass, purple loose, loose strife. Uh, the one we seem to have a lot of difficulty with here is Eurasian milfoil. And that's the one I'm familiar with. Right. That's the one you're going to see around Pawpaw Lake. So we seem to have those. Uh, well, actually, all the lakes around here seem to have issues with that. Probably the biggest item, and we mentioned it in our club newsletter this month, is um, was the used to be the zebra mussel everybody was concerned with, uh, but actually, the one that it was really the uh, damaging fact now is the quagga mussel. Yeah, the that,
0: yeah, that zebra mussel is pretty much gone from what I understand,
1: right? The quaggas have pretty much done their business on them. Uh, they had an example that I put in the newsletter and they, they call it uh, Muscle Mayhem in Minnesota, and uh, they use it as an example. A lake, I believe it's called Lake Millilax. It's 100 miles from Duluth. It's uh, 128,000 acres, max depth to 42 feet. And in, 19, or in 2005, they did 60 dives, and they found four mussels that were found. In 2008, they found 0. 0.4 mussels per square foot. In 2009, it was four mussels per square foot. 2010, it was 14 mussels per square foot. 2011 was 1,000 per square foot. Peak densities in that area were 10,000 per square foot, which means it took six years for it, them to completely dominate that state's lake. Now, since the mussels' average life was three to five years, they were talking about they're doing a good turnover. They actually filter about a quart of water daily. And they consume the algae, which is food for the zooplankton, you know, which is the essential food for the small fish. At a density of 500 zebra mussels per square foot, they would filter the entire water column above them every day. So, at that lake they were talking about, which is basically 200 square miles or 128,000 acres, they estimate, based on the quantity of, of mussels there, uh, they're filtering that every day, probably more than once a day.
0: That is unbelievable.
1: Now, oh, absolutely. That's tremendous. And the water visibility has tremendously increased, but the vegetation growth, including the growth of Eurasian water milfoil, is coming right up. So the other article they talked about uh, was a September 4th article called the An ecology, Ecological Changing of the Guard. They talked about uh, the Great Lakes are home to more than 185 exotic species. And they talked about, but none has done as much to disrupt the base of the food web as the zebra and the quagga mussel. They said specifically there, the zebras were once the dominant invasive mussel in Lake Michigan, but they have been virtually eliminated by their close relative, the quagga mussel. So uh, the diagram that I showed on this referenced that the quagga did in two years what it took six years for the zebras to do.
0: That is absolutely amazing. Well, it's,
1: there, Lake Erie, since it's, it's basically shallow, even though it's very large, is the bottom is totally engrossed in zebra mussel shells and quagga mussels and in certain parts of it to a depth of six inches. The whole bottom of the lake.
0: Oh, I believe it. I mean, if some of the stuff that we've seen, the, there's a, a layer of shells where they've passed on and fallen off of the wrecks. Uh, not surprising it, it, it's like Dave in the chat room said you know if the, only they would not clump on wrecks you know if they you know, if they just clumped on the sand and left the wrecks alone now now that would be amazing. yeah, so you figure okay. they're clearing out the whole water column. Uh, you wonder what does that do does that can that affect current? Uh,
1: you would almost think you would have a self-generating current because if you're filtering and you're actually moving that water and you're talking a thousand to ten thousand per square foot or square meter. I can't imagine you wouldn't – you'd have to have some type of current.
0: Yeah, well, if you've got 10,000 and each moving a quart of water a day, I mean, they, I guess they could be drinking the same quart of water each. But, you know, it, it, yeah, they they have to have, be having some effect.
1: Well, the, the only good part about that, which there isn't really a good part, is – they're getting to the part now that there's so many zebras that or quaggas that they actually can't sustain their own life. So they're looking to see what that level of sustaining is going to be. Meaning, if you had a thousand, that looks sustainable, but the patches that had ten thousand are going to be dying. They don't know at what is the maximum level that then can exist without it starving themselves. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to look. As a side note, totally away from this. Well, not actually. Uh, I was up at uh, Subaquatics this week talking to uh, Rick Sass, who, who runs that business, and he was trying out a new camera, uh, which used fiber optics around, so it does backlighting, so you don't have that uh, the backlighting and glow. It, it's interesting philosophy, and a new technique. He was taking pictures of uh, zebras and quaggas, and inadvertently, when he finally digested them and got them up on the board looking at them, he realized they had found a new item out there, a new invasive species. Oh. I think among the the zebras and then the quagga mussels, they had a hydra, and it looked like the type that you'd find in a saltwater environment that has now been able to adapt themselves to fresh water. And oh. I was trying to find a picture just to send to you, but it you got this. Imagine this little quagga mussel shell, and buy it, and in this whole little lot, all these little stalks came up with all their tendrils out, you know, what? like a regular hydra. Yeah. And it's like, that is freaking amazing.
0: Well, and, when when you say Hydra, the one thing you wonder is, could that have come from a marine aquarium? You know, somebody had a fish tank and they just dumped everything out into the water and they introduced it that way.
1: And would have had to reproduce in a hurry. Yeah. I mean, to huh. get that perfect for them to suddenly say, whoa, where would this come from? But um, it made some kind of a newsy event down that way. 'Cause it's like the first time somebody's seen that, and it's like and it was by accident, but he you know, I'll take getting credit for something, even if it's by accident. But the yeah. pictures are awesome. And uh which made me think of uh some strange stuff I saw in the river last week, that now I have a camera, I'm gonna go back out and make a point to get a sample of it. Uh, because it looks not like a hydra, but there's a whole section of that one bank I was digging around. Mm-hmm. It's really white. Uh, whatever vegetation there is white. Hmm. When you go to junk muck to all of a sudden a whole bank of white, it's like, what the heck is going on here? Yeah. I went up, look for a sewage fluent, you, you know, for an outpipe, my first item. But I'm going to go back and get a sample because that, that could be quite interesting if there's something new out there we didn't know about.
0: Well, I, w- I would take a sample, and we got plenty of universities here where that might be a good project for the students to go figure out what that is. You know, You well, have to believe that we are one of the few people diving these rivers actively taking a look at objects like this. I mean, we got public safety, which are doing a noble job getting in there, but they're not looking for invasive species or, or other things. And then how long has the river been so dirty that you couldn't actually see anything?
1: Yeah. Like I said, this has been an exceptional two months as far as I'm concerned. Uh, with the rain we've had this week, you can forget the visibility.
0: Certainly. And as we're talking about, about, uh, environment changes or misperceptions we have divers that have discovered the Dead Sea is not so dead after all Uh, and and this is one of those things you wonder why it took somebody so long to actually look for it but uh, for the first time researchers have sent diving expedition into the Dead Sea where they uncovered freshwater springs issuing from massive craters in the seafloor along with a menagerie of microbes Uh, both finds were the first for the world's saltiest body of water which is also the lowest spot on the planet. Uh, let's see. There was, there's a couple of things. The freshwater gushes from steep-walled craters about 45 feet across, 60 feet deep. The researchers found the water forms a complex spring flowing along the seafloor that is hundreds of feet long and 90 feet deep in some places. In addition, divers found mats of microbes living near the holes On the floor, a variety of the microorganisms living in the environment are thought to be largely devoid of life was surprising. While there are no fish present, carpets of microorganisms that cover large seafloor areas contain considerable richness of species, said uh, Danny Ionotius of Max Planck Institute of Marine Biology in Germany. (laughs) Again, we've, we've come across the names. The Dead Sea is rapidly disappearing, and this is amazing. The water is evaporating at a rate of roughly three feet or one meter per year. And they said that has been accelerated due to humans choking off its main source, which is the Jordan River. Uh, that water has been used mostly for drinking, but I'm sure agricultural plays effect in it too. There is a video when you go click over to the link where you can see that. And it just reminds me of the hydrothermal vents that they have in the ocean.
1: Yeah. Did they give any uh, reference to that at that rate? How long it would. Uh take the Dead Sea to expire. I mean, if, if somebody told us that Lake Michigan was going down three feet a year, this place would be netso. Oh, yeah. It'd be yeah. up in arms like you would not believe. I mean, two years, you just screwed up all the the, the pure dockings, unloading. Yeah. That's,
0: well, that's
1: three well, feet well, a year. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. Well, if they're doing three feet a year, it would only take five or six years, and you'd you'd have to extend your docks way out. Uh, I I don't really think there's a whole lot of interest. I mean, it's a dead sea. It's named dead. So, uh, you know, I I don't know. Uh, You know, they did make mention in the article that uh, it's popular for tourists because of the density. They said it's real easy to float on the surface. And I'm not necessarily sure why that makes it popular and other than for novelty. But uh, yeah, so uh, I guess we could I guess we could do the math, figure out how deep it is. (laughs) And you figure one meter a year, uh, it wouldn't take too long. And you know as you get, as it gets farther on down, it's going to accelerate if everything stays the same because the naturally tapering sides of the, the sea are going to mean that at each meter there's less water there.
1: Well, I'm just looking that up real quick. It says it's 8.6 times saltier than the ocean, and therefore that's why they call it the Dead Sea because that, the salinity there is very harsh, and the animals just can't live in it, basically. It's 67 kilometers or, or 42 miles long. 11 miles wide at the widest point uh, it said the Dead sea is 1237 feet deep so
0: that's three uh, uh, 300 meters plus at
1: 423 meters
0: yeah well, I'm... so 423 meters so I mean they you figure it's it, it's got a few years left but uh, yeah definitely reducing and it's already a low spot so mm-hmm.
1: that's and the Jordan River is the only major water source flowing into the Dead Sea, and it talked about it, it does have perennial springs, uh, but that's about it. And the rainfall uh, is scarce; you're talking four inches a year, so yeah, it's not going to be able to make itself up.
0: No, no. Now, the next one up we, has, we have we have uh, this is a revisit of an article we did uh, oh, a few weeks back: waterfront property rights question in coastal dispute. The Maine Supreme Court has upheld a ruling of the lower court, granting rights to scuba divers to cross the intertidal zone, even if it's privately owned. The decision is being hailed as one of them uh, as one more swipe at the Moody Beach case in, eight, in 1989 that strictly limited the public rights to intertidal zones, as re- originally set out in Colonial Ordinance of 1647. Many of Maine's coastal property owners hold deeds that include the beaches to low water mark. The public's right to cross these intertidal zones is limited by the 350-year-old ordinance to fishing, fouling, or navigation. A number of cases before the court since 1989 have tried to expand that definition. Uh, The court justices agreed to that scuba diving was approved activity. What they couldn't agree on was the reason why it was split three to three on uh, the opinion. Uh, Six judges... Uh, one recused recluse, himself because he was a coastal landowner, agreed the right of public to walk across intertidal lo- lands to reach the ocean for the purposes of scuba diving, but were divided a easing. Three judges agreed that scuba diving was a form of navigation, and three concluded our common law has regularly accommodated the public's rights to cross intertidal land to reach the ocean for ocean-based activities. Now, what I thought was interesting is is down towards the end of the article is they're talking about the original case, and it was against a scuba diver and this lady who owned the land, and there's this road, you have property, and then you have what I call the intertidal area. And I've always considered, you know, if there was private land, you didn't cross that. What they're saying is you can cross that private land to get to that intertidal area to navigate. So she she owned the land. Her house was uh, on the other side of the road. Uh, but she didn't like people going across it. A scuba diver had gone down and, you know, three or four times a year he'd go and enter the water and he would just do it. And she got mad at him and she fumed and fumed and fumed and he didn't know she didn't like him diving there. So at one point she confronts him and that's when the battle started. Uh, you know, they would call the police on each other regularly. Uh, she said that he was rude and obnoxious and he's later admitted, Hey, I was young. I probably was young and obnoxious then. Um, the suit was filed in 2008 for trespassing and required, the required mediation didn't succeed. She want, All she wanted was an apology. She said she wanted me to admit that I needed permission. Uh, he wouldn't do it. Um, Bird, who was the person who was uh, sued, says he does not see himself as someone who's trying to free the beaches. I see both sides of the issue, he says, referring to public and private property rights. He just hopes we can bury the hatchet and come to a truce.
1: Interesting. So, if you're going out as a scuba diver and you're going spear fishing, since you're fishing, then that's legal also, or be that, more legal than just
0: going diving. You're very true. So, you, I guess that's what you need to do.
1: So, carry a spear gun with rubber spears.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, and make sure you have your fishing license. I'm sure no, nothing would be bad, worse than uh, going out there trying not to get trespassing and then they nail you for. Not having a fishing license.
1: When I talking about that, when we were up there doing that uh, underwater fishing last month, I yeah. actually made a copy of mine, plasticized it, had it in my BC, because the wording was if they ask you for it, you must have your license on your person. Ah. So I didn't want to give anybody any excuse, so I plasticized one so I'd have it on my person in the water. So I was legal by the book.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, because that would be a tricky one. Uh, I guess, yeah, that'd be really the only way to do it or or just have it tattooed on you. (laughs) Every year. Every year. You'd run out of skin eventually. Uh, The next one uh, we're going to talk about is scuba wreck, not scuba wreck, shipwreck hunters find a 150-year-old schooner in Lake Ontario. Um, This is something they had found for two years and they were keeping it a secret. Uh, It was so deep that uh, they didn't, Uh, They they couldn't go down and send divers down, so they were waiting for uh, an underwater vehicle to go down and do the photos. It had been uh, it took them two years to get down there. Uh, This the team who found it. They said they found 12 wrecks in Lake Ontario using sonar and remote operated vehicles. Uh, Their first step to research is the boat they're looking for, the route that would have likely taken to transport group goods, and in this case it was salt and coal from New York to Canada. What they believe they have found is the three-masted Queen of the Lakes. Uh, the, the, the two are Dan Scoville and Roland Stevens. Uh, the Queen of the Lakes was built in 1853, sank in November 1906 while transporting coal destined for Queen's University of Kingsland from Charlotte, uh, which the port is now in Rochester. Huge storm shook the 53-year-old wooden boat. Weakened hull gave out. The bottom fell out of the boat and began to fill the water. The captain of five crew members escaped in a yaw. Uh, They had to row 15 kilometers back to shore through three-meter-high waves in the bitter cold. They were lucky not to have died from exposure. Uh, So what they had been doing is they had been working with GPS and uh, sonar using a laptop, and they said they would stare for 10 hours at a time at the featureless bottom.
1: That's called patience.
0: Yeah, and that's what you need if you're going to be doing shipwreck hunting uh, like they were doing. So there is a video and I did watch the video, uh, you know, an interesting, an interesting wreck. Uh, it looks like it has a boiler on it. So when you go click on over to the, uh, show notes, you can take a look at that.
1: Yeah. It looks like the master down, the hatches are blown.
0: Yeah. You now you figure 150 years, it'd be, Yeah. You, know, you know, like we were talking last week, the, these wrecks aren't staying there forever and they're slowly coming down. All It takes a few good storms that work their way down that deep. Uh, did they say how deep it was? Yeah, 200 to 300
1: feet. Uh, and then I was looking at another little part where he's talking about uh, how many meters it was. He said 90 below, 90 meters. That's only mm-hmm. 240 feet. And he can hit it at 180. And it said 60 to 90 meters. So 180, you could bump that on a rebreather. Looking at the uh, pictorials, it does look it has uh, encrustations all over it. Looks like it has some vegetation on it, too, on the railings.
0: Yeah, it did. Kind of uh, built up.
1: Yeah. And you figure that may be a little over 150 years old, but it's been down there only, what, 105 years, something like that? Yeah. Sank like in 1906, where they always say they're pristine. You know, I still take the exception to that. Yeah. Uh, they shallow ones because, as we saw up north, uh, the ones we dove on 30 years ago going to heck in a handbasket, you know, they're 100 feet, 110 feet. So 300, well, 200, 300 feet, it's going to last a little bit longer, but it, it will go by the wayside. And the zebras and the quaggas aren't helping it.
0: No. And they, they well, we used to think the zebras stopped at a certain depth. And
1: they, the zebras did.
0: Yeah. Uh, but the, the
1: quaggas are the ones that are deeper.
0: Yeah. So uh, they seem to be a little hard here. Plus, I've also heard that with the water being clear, that we're actually creating more algae in the bottoms, which then creates an, yeah. another food source for them.
1: It's a vicious cycle, it seems like.
0: It is. Uh, This uh, next one, and I thought you would like that, salvagers confirmed discovery of silver-laden shipwreck.
1: Always like that. I I mean, I like to remove silver as a contaminant from from the lake bottoms as rapidly and as often as I could. You know, I prefer to be able to move bulk silver out of the environment so it doesn't pollute anything.
0: Yeah, the treasure is of the British ship, the SS Gersopa. Sunk during World War II, the value of the contents is set at $210 million.
1: Well, if it's 7 million ounces, right now it's running about $40 an ounce.
0: Yeah, they they said in the article that it was was selling for $30.10 an ounce.
1: Okay, that's, uh, that's low, I know. Well, let me rephrase that. Last time I looked, which was last month, it was 40, 40 bucks an
0: ounce. Yeah. It, it, silver's good. been a little volatile, this, along with everything else this last yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, given the uh, orientation to condition of the wreck, they are extremely confident that the planned salvage operation will be well suited for recovery of this silver cargo. Uh, they said this is the largest known precious metal car- cargo ever recovered from the sea. Wow. Uh, they have a salvage agreement signed last year with the United Kingdom Department for Transportation calls for the Odyssey to retain a mere 80% of the net salvage value of the silver recovered. So that does not sound like too bad a deal to me. 80% of $210 million.
1: I could probably live in my retirement ages on that, yeah.
0: Yep. yep. So not that uh, recovering anything from uh, deep in the water is going to be that inexpensive but hopefully i would imagine that 210 million is something that you can recover um uh, it uh sitting in nearly am i reading this right Four thousand seven hundred meters uh
1: very easily could be
0: below the surface of the north atlantic about 300 miles off ireland's coast and international waters the 412 foot ship was operating for the united kingdom's ministry of war transport it's carrying silver in 1941, 600,000 British pounds. Wow. What does that have to look like? I mean, that has to be a big chunk.
1: By the way, I was looking at the price for silver. Uh-huh. According to today's price, uh, it appeared to be 60.5 cents, or I'm sorry, 60.50 per ounce. So $60 an ounce. Right now? That's what it says right here. Oh. It's like, I didn't think that was quite
0: that high no that quite sounds
1: that it says it's thirty dollars and eight cents and i can believe
0: that yeah yeah thirty dollars <laughs> seems to be reasonable i can remember buying silver for you know five dollars an ounce or eight dollars an ounce yeah but uh yeah i've got some silver rings my, my wife took uh she sold silver for a while she did uh one of those uh jewelry uh home selling deals and was selling silver and she sold some she originally took it in but you can't recover the value of the jewelry you know they have such a markup on it. You can't, you know, just paying for, for it. She did better selling it on eBay than having it scrapped.
1: Yep, spot for a uh, spot price for silver is thirty-one dollars and six cents at uh, second site. So
0: yes, yeah, that that's and that's normally what you're going to get when you go into uh, any place just to sell anything uh, silver. Is that that's what they'll give you?
1: Yeah, so it is pretty volatile. And yeah. looking at the uh, average price over the last couple of months, uh, thirty is a good price because it's been as high as 40.
0: And then that same wreck well, uh, hunter is, is uh, talking about, he says, deep-sea gold rush could bankroll Bermuda. He says, untold wealths under the waves, uh, billion, he says, billions of dollars in gold and other precious metals lie beneath the ocean could fund the island's economy for years to come. Uh, speaking to his international exploration company that discovered the silver... Uh, he said the deep oceans off Bermuda harbored similar treasures. He believes there's undiscovered shipwrecks thousands of feet below the surface that could be found using the same technology as for his firm Odyssey Marine used to locate the garsopa. Uh, he said the shipwreck formed just a fraction of the wealth to be discovered in Bermuda's territorial waters. The future wealth and prosperity of Bermuda is probably going to be underwater. The real treasure won't be defined as Spanish doubloons, but the precious metal deposits. So it sounds like he's uh, trying to line up his next line of work after he recovers that silver, and that's to get uh, some funding to go and look for minerals there around Bermuda.
1: Well, uh, $1,631.50 an ounce right now, uh, and you if you had a couple of pounds of that, you'd be doing pretty decent.
0: Well, didn't we, uh, well, didn't we have an article a few months back where we were talking about the, the hydrothermal vents oh, and yeah. the mineral concentration of those? So, yeah, there's there's some potential there. You just wonder how it's uh, how it can be used without going crazy.
1: <laughs> well, you figure it costs a lot of money to find that much gold, and a lot of the stuff they have been recovering has been rather deep. So it's not just like putting your hand in the water and picking it up. It's going to cost a lot of money to get it, but yeah, it seems that, like a good investment.
0: Yeah, they're saying uh, 20,000 feet is uh, some of those depths. So that's not your normal uh, jaunt. You know, what's at a thousand times deeper than many people scuba dive, so.
1: Yeah, a lot. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, That's that dream that, they're made of, right? Exactly. Finding that treasure trove.
0: That's what we keep dreaming. So that does it for the news this week. I'll uh, we'll finish off the news. And then the topic for this week, before we get into the dives we did last week, we want to talk about cold water scuba diving. If you've noticed outside, we're starting to get a little bit of cold weather. Uh, we're starting to see leaves turn here in Michigan, and a lot of people are putting away their, their gear. If you listen to Rich on uh, Diver Sink, he's talking about now's the time of year to go ahead and put your gear away if you're going to do so. I'm saying that you need to keep diving. This is the best way. Right now, even though it's getting kind of cold outside, water has just reached its peak and is starting to cool off. So even diving in May and June, the water temperature is actually warmer now. And one of the best ways to dive into the winter is to keep diving. I mean, that's what Mac, you got Jim and I doing a few years ago. Was just learning how to keep warm. So we just dove every week and kept adjusting, tweaking little things to our diving habit to keep warm. So if you're in that wetsuit, you start, you know, maybe upgrading. You know, what are you getting? If you're getting cold right now in the warm, in the warmer water. That is a clue as to what you need to be changing. So if you're, you know, typically what gets cold is the fingers and the toes. So uh, you know, just because you have a seven mil uh, wetsuit, you need to make sure that all your extremities. It's not uncommon if you're not paying attention they have a three mil five finger gloves. So you can start to upgrade that. They make uh, five, five combination five and seven mil gloves. You can go seven mil gloves, and then you can work your way to uh, the three finger lobster gloves or mitts. That will keep you warm, and then boots. The same thing. You can start upgrading those to seven mil. Uh, you can also go some uh, semi dry gloves will help. Uh, what you're also going to be able to do is what I do is I will put on a under layer or undergarment um, in my wetsuit, which is uh, like polyester long johns. You can pick them up. Uh, you know, under Armour is a good brand, and that uh, that just to me it's worked. It, it gives me a little bit of mass, and then we do something called priming so what we'll do is we'll you, you get some warm water i usually get two jugs i got a red jug and an orange jug the red jug is the hot stuff and the orange jug is the the cool the like warm water about as hot as comes out of a normal tap or it won't burn you and then by the time i get to dive site like that warm is good for priming and then if i need more for whatever reason i can cut that hot water with river water or some colder water and warm that up But if you start diving now and you start seeing what is getting you cold, then you can keep diving all year. And I've done ice dives in the 7 mil. uh, And you're not going to get an hour in an ice dive in a wetsuit. That's just the fact of it. Uh, What do you say, Mac, Mac, for people who want to start keeping warm as we head into the colder time of the year?
1: Uh, Pretty much what you said. The only other items I think that we do, is uh, we do use the club ice shanty, which makes a significant difference. I can dress dry when it's very cold, if it's not really windy. But when you get out and you want to take your suit off, especially wetsuit, you really need to be out of the wind. And having our ice shanty with our uh, heater in it makes the whole thing bearable. So having shelter is a good thing to do. Uh,
0: that's certainly, that's, sure. a, that's an excellent point to make sure that you've got that shelter to get you out of the wind. Also, starting warm. You don't want to start cold. Wear a hat, wear a coat, warm up. Um, You know, wear your gloves the whole time. You know, get used to wearing your gloves as much as you can. I've heard uh, Rich uh, talk about just wearing your gloves inside your house because a lot of people do is they'll get the gloves on and they'll go and clip something. So they'll pull their glove off, clip it, put it back on. Even though while you're above the water, you feel warm, you're starting to lose that body heat. It's just a race to loss. And then when you get in the water, you're going to slowly start to cool down, and then that's when you start to feel cold. So the warmer you start, the warmer you can maintain it, the longer dives you're going to be able to get in. And, and like I said before, we're not getting two one-hour dives. You might go from two dives to one dive. That's pretty common this time of year. Uh, might uh, cut my, my dive time back. You have to be able to remember that you have to get out of the water. If you get yourself too cold, uh, you can get yourself in all sorts of trouble. So uh, but I'm a person who I don't like being cold and I ice dive and that's because it doesn't feel cold. I, I think sometimes the summer in a pool that getting your middle section of water is worse than, uh, having a primed wetsuit getting into uh, 32 degree water.
1: Right. The, the key item though, if you're, if you're serious diving and you really, really want to be comfortable, um, uh, dry suit is the way to go. But that's not to say you cannot be comfortable with a shorter duration dive using a good fitting wetsuit. And again, staying warm as you're getting dressed and getting warm as soon as you get out of the water. Yeah. I can make a lot more time dry, but you can still dive. Even if you did a 20 minute, 30 minute dive, you know, once a weekend, you're keeping current and, and you're learning a new skill how to survive in the cold water in a wetsuit.
0: Exactly. And the reason why you're going to eventually want to get a dry suit is because you're going to see how great that diving in cold water can be. You're you're going to see the clarity. And I think we're going to hear some terrible news from Mac when we talk about last week's dive. And the reason I'm saying it's terrible is because I didn't go. (laughs) Not that the conditions were bad. But uh, what, what, what kind of visibility do you have last week, Mac?
1: Well, actually, if you want to talk to a recent dive, that was yesterday.
0: That was yesterday? And, yeah. We that, had, that was had, that one that Cheese Fry called me up and said, hey, let's go diving?
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, he, he, he called you up and said, let's get out there because uh, you're going to have 11, 14-footers today, well, tonight and tomorrow. Uh, you got 90, got 40, 40-knot 40 winds out there, mm-hmm. so it's going to chop it up. But uh, yesterday we went out in the uh, late morning. Uh, air temperature was 55. Surface temperature was 64, on the bottom was 39 to 40. You have a defined thermocline at about oh, 50, 55 feet. So it made our visibility absolutely great. You got about down there by the buoy, maybe 20 feet down. You could see the bottom of the, of the, of the lake really not defined but you could actually say wow that's the bottom and then when you got closer you could start seeing all of the the wreck out there
0: so so at about seven meters
1: way before you got. You
0: could see the bottom oh yeah oh my gosh i i I have not been out and seen it that clear
1: yeah but that thermocline was certainly defined and uh, i had my good five fingers on but i i really wish i had worn my three fingers because uh I was fine other than the hands. I had a small leaker in the one glove, and you do not want that when it's
0: that cold. Okay. So so what was the final damage when you got down to, uh, what was that, 70, 75 feet? What's that, 20 meters, 20-plus 20 meters? Uh, Thereabout, yeah. How, how, but what was the viz in the bottom?
1: Well, I could be on the anchor and see way past the back end of the boat, and that's 80 feet away.
0: <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs>
1: We, we talked with a few people already, but when we came back up 20 feet, we looked back past the you know, the, bass, the, the back stern post, off to the left, about another 100 feet away. That tells you how much visibility we had. Uh, we need to go back out there and look. Uh-oh. And then if you turn around 180 degrees off the off the stern or uh, the bow, there's two rather large targets uh, over 100 and something feet away from there, because we started swimming out and it's like, there's some, um, we need to do some prodding out there, buddy.
0: Uh, I know. Oh, wow.
1: And uh, the current, we had a, a real good current on the bottom that uh, I went down and tried to get a few pictures. I poofed it up a little bit, came back to the line. Maybe two minutes later, all that was gone.
0: What, you mean the viz went all away?
1: the way? No, the viz came back because the current was sufficient to move that hey. Oh. Uh, when Dave went down, he was excellent. He stayed a minimum five feet off the bottom. All right. So the only guy screwing things up is me getting low trying to take pictures. And mm. even that was not bad because you had enough current down there that three minutes later, where you just made that little fin mark or were you scared to fish? And you know how they puff up the bottom? Yeah. Gone. Um, first time I've actually seen freaking catfish on that wreck.
0: Yeah. I haven't seen, uh, last time I dove, I think it was with bob. He saw something not quite a catfish, but one of those other, uh, yeah, yeah, something like that, or lawyer, so.
1: Well, we had the lights today, because we wanted to check a few places, and then that one section, we're looking at us like, son of a good, look at the size of that catfish in there, and then there's the standard lawyer fish there, lurking about, but uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was good, but it is turning, so uh, it is back to the three-finger gloves, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that is, that is uh, that can be cold out there. We only had a few weeks of it warm all the way to the bottom. But if I have to choose between visibility or warmth, we'll take the viz.
1: Well, it's like uh, what was it? I think it was, uh, I'm trying to day, day it was we went out.
0: Well, you went out yesterday.
1: Well, yeah, and then I went out again. We'd been on the piers. I took the, the new guy Jeremy out from Wolf's.
0: Yeah, that was last Friday.
1: We were going to try to do that afternoon dive. It turned into a, not afternoon, but after work dive. Mm-hmm. It turned out to be a night dive. But the funny part, again, uh, with no lights at nine o'clock, it was black. You could see five feet. Wow. And I mean, prior to that, you know how the, you know, the sun went down and, and waned, we had more fish out there. You, you got to dive at night if you're going to look at the fish. And I'm talking about not the gobies and the sculpins. I'm talking about nice fish. The ones you want to take home and eat.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the tasty ones.
1: Uh, but it, it was good, uh. So he got an opportunity to use his compass trying to find his way home, which is good. It worked out fine.
0: Yeah, I had uh, I got stuck last week. I didn't get to actually do a dive. I was standing on the pier on the other side at my nephew's wedding, seeing you guys walk down with your dive flags on the other pier, <laughs> wishing I was yeah. diving. <laughs> my wife <laughs> it, gave it, it, me it, it, permission about five minutes before the wedding. If I wanted to go diving, I could. But uh, yeah, it was a little late by that time.
1: Yeah, the only thing we picked up is the obligato- obligatory golf ball.
0: Well, I figured that's a guarantee. If, he, if anybody wants a guaranteed golf ball, it's got to be off the pier.
1: Yeah. And, of course, then, uh, when we did go, the whole group of us went out. We had four boats out there on the on the wreck. Uh, what is it? The, Sunday? The fourth. That was Monday, Sunday or Monday. It must have been Sunday.
0: Yeah, we you were tired. You, you can't keep track of time.
1: Well, I forget because the river has still been nice up until when the rain came.
0: Yeah, we've been having I, rain I since. God, would it start raining Monday and it's still raining now?
1: Yeah, well, I told you about the interesting object that's probably, let's see, two feet wide, yeah, three feet long, foot and a half or two feet deep. I told you about that, right?
0: Yeah, you go back and revisit it?
1: No, I haven't, but I figured out how to rig a line from the bridge down to it and use a come along to move that. Uh-huh. I, of course, I'm hoping that is that safe. Yep. That'd be cool.
0: Yeah. And then we got to go back and visit that car body. I've had more oh, people get excited about that.
1: Yeah, we... I'm ready.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, last week I couldn't, but this week I, I, I think I, I'm up if we can fit anything in. You got any plans for the weekend? Or are we going to get some diving in?
1: Well, supposed we'll be jumping weekend this week. Was, ah, okay. Uh, Sunday is the last turbine day at the Plymouth Airport, so I'm trying to get some jumping in. But if the wind comes up, because uh, I have my own threshold of 15 miles an hour, if it's faster than that, I go diving. safe <laughs> for and if we did that, I'd like to look at the river and see if the viz is really crap or not. But uh, either way, we could always go back down to uh, you know the Nile's one.
0: Yeah, and yeah, I'm, not, I'm...
1: and play around that that truck bed.
0: Yeah, we're not we're not going to make the viz any any worse. Yeah, Dave, I think you've oh, in the chat room. I think you've got that right. So, yeah, uh, and then the following week we're going to be Cooper River.
1: Yep, I'm probably going to take it easy during the week so I don't get an earache or any of that crap.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I've had, this last weekend I was kind of fighting a sniffle, so I'm hoping I get that out of the way so I'm all nice and healthy for when we go down there.
1: Well, take that extra vitamin C. never hurts.
0: No, I agree. Any, anything. I'll even do voodoo, dancing, charms, <laughs> whatever it does to, ke- to keep me from getting sick.
1: <laughs> uh, I know what you mean.
0: So uh, what are you doing? So now we're talking about Cooper River. For those who haven't heard, uh, Mac... And myself and uh, we got Rich from Diver Sink and uh, Dave from the chat room are going to go down to Cooper River and uh, do a river dive. We're going to be looking for uh, shark teeth fossils, uh, Megalodon. So uh, and, and, and Rich has promised us that we won't be missed. Uh, last week or a little over a week ago, he came to the Mud Club meeting and they played that gravel out, which was absolutely amazing. Thanks again to Rich for bringing that. Uh, that was a, one of the I mean, that was a great show and tell, don't you think, Mac?
1: Oh, that was great fun. Yeah. My wife said it's like the grade school where the teacher brings us in and all the little kids run to the front of the room. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. On, on Facebook, I've got photos uh, that you can go ahead and take a look at. They were they were just, it was just great. Uh, and then, you know, Rich is going, oh, that's a stingray part or that's, uh, you know, part of a shark tooth. Just out of this, and it was a, this jar, uh, peanut butter, probably uh, a liter or a quart and a half in volume. And out of that, how many fossils? Probably 10, 15 fossils that came?
1: It seemed like it. I I really didn't count. I was just having too much fun playing with it.
0: Oh, that was a blast. So that's what we're going to go do. We're going to go down to the Cooper River in South Carolina and go and do that dive. And uh, what what kind of preparations are you making, Mac? Uh, uh, For one thing is I need to get some uh, more tanks.
1: Well, I'm repacking all my gear, making sure I have uh, at least three different pair of gloves. I am not quite sure what the temperature uh it's my understanding that's still in the 60s there so I'm not going to much I'm not going to worry too much about getting cold uh, I'll probably bring my my heavy suit and I'll bring my leaky suit so I have a backup if it's not real hot I'll take the leaky suit uh, I got my goodie bags together making some new uh loops for my for my gear to hang out Uh uh, actually, outfitting the BC, so I'll have I know how I want to put my goodie bags on my uh, lift bags, where I'm going to mount my lights. So I have that all squared away, and maybe get a dive in or two to to sort that out before we go.
0: Yeah, I've what I've got to do is he was talking about the uh, you get what do you call them radiator bottles?
1: Well, it's about? like the bottle to use to fill up the you know the windshield washer fluid, mm-hmm. and you take that you get on the opposite side of the the nozzle. Then you put a you cut a T the, on the upper edge, and that way when you have a handful, you can put it through there, and it'll trap it. So it out, and you can loop through your, uh, your cummerbund or your belt on your BC. You can mm-hmm. put one of those bottles there at the gallon one so you have another place to put items that you might want to carry.
0: What I was thinking might go good is I was looking through some of my collection of uh, di- you know clothing detergent bottles, and I thought those might work out pretty well.
1: Yep, I I see that, but maybe I think I'm still going to go with my my normal goodie bags. I'm going to try to pick up another canvas bag because I like canvas a lot easier. It doesn't snag, Mm -hmm. Uh, but if I can't, I'm just taking two goodies.
0: Well, how about the peanut butter jars? I thought that was a a neat idea as well. I might throw a couple of those in my BC and at the end of the dive just scoop them up.
1: Yeah, I have orders for for several of those for my nephews. Uh, I'm supposed to get at least two of those. Canisters full so I can come home and get you know, just like we did at the club meeting. Uh huh. I'm supposed to do that with my nephews. They're they're all hot to trot on that.
0: Yeah. And I have
1: orders from all my kids for megalodon teeth. They want the big (laughs) ones, so they want those nine and a half ones.
0: Yeah, so they so if you find a one and a half, you get to keep that, but the nine and a half they've already claimed.
1: Yeah, yeah. I get the spoils or whatever's left over from them.
0: (laughs) All I want to do is
1: get one or two nice ones. That would be fine. Yeah. Don't want to get too greedy. But uh, there's more than just megalodon teeth out there. Uh, I I am from Carolina, so I'm familiar with that area a bit. And it's like, when they say it's black, it's like diving in iced tea, because you got a lot of tannic acid into the water, so it's dark. But in that area, you figure, you've had Indians there forever. Uh, It's been settled since before the 1600s. So one of the few places you're gonna go around here and find quality old items will be in that area. like he said, you have whale ribs, pottery shards, both from uh, immigrants and Indians. Uh, obviously, the, the fossilized teeth of the megalodons, what we're looking for. But there's a lot of history in those in the, in the Cooper River and in the uh, the rivers feeding that one. I, I just I think we're going to get down there and we're going to say this is so good we're going to come back again.
0: Oh, I think so. I think this is going to be an annual trip for the club. Uh, we might have to have uh, wh- wh- what was the captain's name? Do you remember? He said he sounded like Boomhauser.
1: Oh, it's Tom Mil- uh, Tom McMillan.
0: Tom McMillan. So uh, Captain Tom,
1: right? Captain. You know, he might
0: have to g- gather up a, uh, another boat buddy for one time because we might be able to fill up a couple boats next year.
1: <laughs> well, there's there's more than just uh, that tour. There's a couple out uh, that goes down the Cooper River. It's a it's a day trip. And there are certain sites you can stop at along the way and look for different items. Because uh, some places specialize instead of teeth. They're talking about bottles, bottle shards, and pottery. And I like bottles, so I wouldn't mind going to one of those locations. So anything I can find, I'm good with. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm happy with anything fine. I still get excited about cracked bottles. So, uh, you, know, I, you know, my first shark tooth will be amazing. So uh, I'll I'll be excited about that. I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, I'm psyched that we get to go. Uh, and uh, did I mention that we had one spot left? So if you're listening to the show and you've been on the fence, give Rich a call and take that last spot. Especially if you live down there. We have a couple of listeners who are already in South Carolina. Uh, you know, gosh, you don't even have to go. I mean, all you gotta do is pay for the boat trip. You already got a house there, so no excuse. We get we got to one spot. We'll have. I I bet we'll have this film. Yeah.
1: Well, I I did. Uh, remember that when I was down there before, uh, there's actually a hobby diver's license that you have to have when you do this. And we'll go hours through our our charter, but the cost of that for a non-resident is going to be 10 bucks. What a hobby diver license, and it's required to have that. It's required for persons wishing to conduct temporary, uh, what they call recreational, small scale, scale, non-commercial search and recovery of submerged material. At a statewide license, and you're required to have that. Uh, the key items for that, though, is recovery of submerged property must be by hand, must not involve mechanical devices. Welcome or to, talk to Please
0: enter the call uh, hold, ID. Hold on just a second.
1: Sounded like your one you hour. Or
0: yeah, yeah, somehow. Sorry about that, people in the mm-hmm. chat room. Uh, somehow talk shoe dropped, and we didn't get any notification here, so <laughs> we were just going away. They had a great conversation going in the chat room uh, on some, uh, dives and liveaboard charters. So, uh, not sure what went on there. Uh, hopefully let me go double check our feed before I keep talking. Uh, yeah, that's just plain bizarre. I'm not sure what happened. That makes for extra fun when I'm editing.
1: Well, it was about an hour. So I figured it timed out after an hour.
0: No, it, it it will go, uh, it can do 23 hours. So, Oh, Uh, I promise I won't torture anybody with a 23 hour podcast, but, uh, the, the system can handle 23 hours of podcasting. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, that's going to be an exciting trip that uh, Cooper River. I can't. I just can't wait.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I just hope I don't get skunked.
0: Do you think you're going? to? I just no, don't want
1: to find a lot of Indian love stones.
0: I, I think we will find too many Indian love stones.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I, I know. I was going to say, what are you taking to dig with? I'm taking my Captain Hook.
0: I've got my standard uh, river stick, which is uh, basically a handheld garden hoe with a wooden handle and a hole in it. So, you know, until I find something better or see something better, that's what I'm going to use. I've had different tools, but that seems to be that that one is nice. It doubles. If I can get it in the bottom, it holds pretty well. Yeah,
1: I like that hook. I'd like to find another one because that's not going to it's not going to break. I just re-rigged it though, so I'd have a better lanyard system. So if I need to cut it off or cut it away, I can get to it. Yeah,
0: there's just something about traveling all that distance. It makes me want to be a little bit more prepared for the uh, the dive. So I'm just got to double check my equipment. It's like almost like I'm cursing myself. You're know, we'll, well,
1: uh- I'll be taking a, a total spare regulator set up. Uh, I'll take extra fins and extra mask. Those are the minimum. I mean, you get that far away from home, you're not going to have your regulator crap out and say, now I can't dive. Right. I mean, Obviously that wouldn't be the end of it. Cause you can rent uh, the, the dive store they have down there rents a lot of gear, including lights. So uh, that wouldn't be a major trauma, but why buy something if you don't have to. So
0: yeah, I'll I agree. Yeah. The chat room is trying to encourage us on. We have uh the dive mistress and, uh, Aug from uh, down under, down there trying to talk us into a 24-hour podcast. <laughs> we'll have to think about that. Okay. Uh, we're going to need some aid and assistance to do 24 hours. I don't know. That, that would be yeah. something. Maybe we'd have to do that as a fundraiser. Maybe we'll have to find some underwater charity if we're going to try and do 24 hours. Yeah, uh, I,
1: I'd like to have a camera, though, because I, I'd like to get a picture of one of those alligators when we go in
0: uh-huh.
1: on the shore. That'd be, be pretty cool. And, and, I, and like he mentioned, if you're down there and you and you get a little freaky and you want to play around, do not grab my leg. You, oh, okay. will, be wearing, <laughs> you will be wearing my captain hook in whatever object is closest to my leg.
0: Yeah, Rich was talking about his uh, practical joke of, uh, you know, he, he warns everybody about the alligators and he comes up behind you and grabs a leg, but he says you got to watch for the crowbar. So uh, and then uh, Dave. Who uh, is saying he's going to bring his dumbo, jumbo dive kit? What regulators we have, and and you and I both had the same regulators. Uh, what are those? the Titans?
1: I'd have to look around because my the primaries I like is my uh, cyclones. Um,
0: oh, you I got your cyclones.
1: Finished. Yeah, I'm going to get those redone because I want to use those for my ice diving this year. Mm-hmm. But, but yes, uh, but, you uh, have uh, that same set that you have. I have actually a different set other than that one also. Uh,
0: what what? But what's the, what's the brand? That's the uh, Aqualung. I couldn't tell you right
1: now to save my life
0: I know um, i'm I'm seeing all the brands go together when you go and you see them all, but uh it's uh yeah so dave i'll I'll let you know which which rig it is because he's he's talking about was bringing his jumbo save a dive kit but uh, <laughs> uh so well, let's see what else have we got to talk about We talked about being cold, we talked about the Cooper river I mean that that's really all I want to talk about next week's gonna be tough if you don't want to hear about us Jones and about the Cooper River you might not want to listen. <laughs> So well, uh, I, hope, I I want to find so much that everybody who didn't go is is disgustingly jealous. That that's oh yeah,
1: that would be cool. Or find something so unique that we even make the news down
0: there. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, uh, divers from Michigan found long lost uh, Confederate uh, backup submarine, you know, twin to the, like the Henley,
1: full of Confederate gold bullion. That's I mean, that's what I want.
0: Well, they we have... know if we know if there was uh, gold and bullion, they wouldn't know they found that we found the sub.
1: Uh, they wouldn't know we found the gold either.
0: <laughs> exactly. Did we say that in the air?
1: <laughs> the chances of finding a gold is very slim. And if we found it, we'd really turn it in and pay the taxes on it.
0: On oh, us. of course. That's exactly, that'd be the right thing to do.
1: <laughs> that'd be the only thing to do. And I would, I would make sure that, Darren, you did too. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Yeah. I'm being watched by Max, so <laughs> we, we know we're all fine. <laughs> Well, before it gets too deep, we probably better go and uh, hit the uh, bad scuba joke. Unless you have anything else. Oh, actually, we do. Gosh, I, I better check my notes a little bit more often. Uh, we have uh, some five star reviews. We love those iTunes five star reviews. If you happen to listen, be happen to listen to the show uh, through iTunes. Even if you don't, you can go over there, grab an iTunes account, go in, find Scuba Obsessed, and we love the reviews there. This one says, "Great job." What a great podcast. You guys are easy to listen to and have good info to share. As a Patty MSDT, I recommend your podcast to my students along with a couple. There's a good way to maintain the obsession between dives. Thanks for the effort. And that was Tom K. So thank you, Tom. We love those five-star reviews. And and that's really what we're shooting for. Uh, Get that obsession. If we can't dive for whatever reason, at least we can keep the obsession going. And thanks again to everybody in the chat room. Another great week in the chat room. Had a few people in there. We need, we need, we need to do something special one of these times. Get more people in there. So we'll come up with some ideas. Still working on some website stuff and some design. Been busy at work. And then uh, when we go to Cooper River, uh, Rich and Dave are probably going to bring extra livers. So maybe we'll we'll do some BS. Maybe we'll record from down there too. I'm going to bring some recording gear. good. Okay. So you ready?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Okay, so here we go. A retired commercial diver owned a home on a large oceanfront property in the Florida Keys. The house had a nice beach, which was perfect for swimming. One evening on his way to the beach, he heard voices shouting and laughing with glee as he neared the water. The moon was full, and as he got closer, he could see a group of young women skinny dipping. He whistled to make the women aware of his presence, and they moved quickly out to deeper water in response. One of the women shouted to him, We're not coming out until you leave. The old man replied, That's okay. I didn't come down to watch you young lady skinny dipping. I just came down to feed the sharks. I thought that one was appropriate since we're talking about uh, finding sharks. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: So until next week, go out there and get wet.
1: And stay safe. Call recording yep. has been completed. Yep,
0: just hitting the the end. Anybody in the chat room wanna come on real quick? We'll say hi.